powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. That's right. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we jump into this episode, though, I want to say the biggest thank you to my last guests, Bill Moore and Apollo 13 astronaut Fred Hayes. The episode broke every streaming download record ever set by the show, and the amount of outreach I got from fans, local aviation groups, other podcasts, and more was incredibly overwhelming. It's been four days now since the release, and I am still in shock that I got to speak to Fred freaking Hayes. If you haven't heard the historic interview, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So Fred, Bill... Honestly, guys, thank you so, so much. All right, welcome to episode 143, and we are continuing our NASA week, and we have another incredible guest joining us. We have on the show historian, author, and one of the world's foremost experts of NASA digital restoration, Andy Saunders. Andy's going to tell us about the incredible undertaking of coming through thousands of images to produce some of the most pristine restorations of photos from the Apollo missions era. He has taken his work and compiled them into a stunning book titled Apollo Remastered. I've seen the book and I stand by my statement that they are so incredible to quote Indiana Jones, they belong in a museum. So much so, this book has the seal of approval from astronauts Fred Hayes, Charlie Duke, and so many more. Lots to talk about, so let's get Andy out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome to the show calling in today from England, NASA digital restoration expert and author, and just a great guy to converse with, Andy Saunders. Andy, hello, good morning, and welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? Uh, morning, it's fine over in the UK. Thank you, Eric. Yes, thank you for having me on. I start my interviews off the same way, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 world up to this point? Well, I suppose for, for me, it kind of came at, at a useful time. I'd already started on on this book, uh, which I knew was going to take probably years to complete. Uh, and of course, I was kind of, the nature of what I was doing, I was based at my PC. So actually, it didn't negatively affect me, me too much, but with two young kids who needed homeschooling at the same time that was the that was the real challenge from a from a family point of view but work-wise it didn't really affect me but yeah on a personal level it's uh like with everybody else it's uh it's been a difficult time so every journey has a beginning where were you born what was it like growing up there i was born in a town called or on the outskirts of a town called wigan in the north of england uh in 1974 so a couple of years after the last apollo mission 
mm-hmm. that was Apollo 17 in 1972. Relatively ordinary upbringing, I guess. Went to university, studied transport management, started work in logistics and supply chain management. Then I was a management consultant, but I get bored very easily. So um, I kept moving on and moving on and doing something new. And then I started a new career developing properties. And then I uh, wound up undertaking this this huge project on the on the NASA film. So for the record, um, I'm a massive program fanatic. You know, yeah. for my listeners who cannot see, I've carefully curated a collection of Apollo 11 memorabilia. And a couple of months ago, I built the Lego Saturn V rocket, which was one of the most fun things I've done in a long mm-hmm. time. Um, it brings me great joy to talk to you about this incredible book uh, that you put together, Apollo Remastered, The Ultimate Photographic Record. Uh, where did the inspiration come from to create this book? Well, I, I've just been, an, like yourself, by the sounds of it, I've always been absolutely obsessed with the Apollo missions from as long as I can remember, you know, probably four years old. I was I was into rockets and like a lot, a lot of little boys. Actually, I was into anything that could fly. Um, rockets were the ultimate, you know, flying machine. The moon seemed like the ultimate destination. And I just always had an obsession with it. And as I mentioned earlier, I was born just after the Apollo mission, so I didn't live through it. But when I'd learned that, you know, people have actually been to the moon and walked around on the moon, I'd, that just absolutely blew my mind. I thought it was just this this dream that you could take a rocket to the moon. Actually, we've done it. So when I learned that, I just I just wanted to know everything about it. Um, I got obsessed with it. I'd go when I was old enough to go into the local town on the bus. I'd go go to the library, the big library there. I'd get every VHS. You know, back in the day, it was VHS tapes and books, but there wasn't a lot on it. And a lot of what I, what I saw, particularly the imagery, wasn't that thrilling. I mean, the content was amazing, but the quality has never been that great. So partly for that reason, and, and it seems to all have been the case, that we, we see these images. And, and I think because, like I say, they are inherently interesting uh, and represent something so important, we, we often kind of look past the fact that the quality doesn't look great. And that doesn't make any sense because they use the best cameras, the best film, the best lenses. So I always thought, well, you know, why why aren't we seeing them in, in a better state than this? So that was one one thing that kind of got me was, was I was always conscious of. But the main single thing was I wanted to see Neil Armstrong on the moon. You know, he's the first. He's this absolutely pivotal moment in human history. I want to see him on the moon, but I couldn't, and we've never been able to because he held the camera for most of the EVA and so all the images that we see are actually of Buzz Aldrin mm. so that important image mission from the history books was what drove me to look at the alternative film so they, they also took a 16mm DAC camera they called it data acquisition camera almost like an old cine film style camera you know movie footage and they filmed the EVA out of the window of the lunar module and I'd become aware of this technique that's used in astrophotography whereby you can stack images so if you've got movie footage you can stack potentially hundreds of frames on top of each other you consolidate them and you can pull out much more detail than you can from one frame and i just thought well if you can do that with you know the planet mars why can't we do that with neil armstrong so i had a go and i just the detail that came out i just couldn't believe and and, and once you've once you've stacked it as well and improve the image in that respect, you can also kind of process the output of that a bit harder than you would a single frame. So it's kind of a double whammy, if you like. And then I started to process the output. And I, I mean, it was almost like, I felt like an archaeologist, you know, brushing the dust off some old artifacts. Suddenly all this detail came out. I could see his eyelid. 
You know, his face, he had his gold visor up. Um, and being an enthusiast, I knew what Neil Armstrong looked like. A lot of people may not. But it was also recognisably him. And that just hit me like a like a brick. I mean, you know, here I was and, and, and never been able to see an, a decent image of Armstrong at all on the moon. And suddenly we can see actually a recognisable Armstrong on the moon. So that really set me on this path then to, to looking at the whole back catalogue of imagery. How do you convince NASA to allow you access to footage that has been sealed and frozen? Well, I didn't need to. So, you know, I mean, the great thing about NASA is this, this open source policy. So it's NASA that actually undertook the scanning. So they wouldn't let me or anybody else inside that freezer. Of course, this is probably the most important, valuable film in existence. It's got to be handled absolutely correctly. It's frozen. It's hermetically sealed uh, to maintain its condition. So they they started this project with Arizona State University in I think it was about 2008, but it took it was wasn't until 2018 that they completed Apollo 17 because they had 35,000 pieces of film to get through and scan. So they scanned it at an incredibly high resolution, and this is a big key to the book is that you know for the first time we've actually got that original flight film. So everything was so when, when I mentioned earlier. You know, why is why there's a lot of what we've seen before not of great quality? It's all been based on duplicate film or more likely copies of copies of duplicate film or an internegative of a copy of a copy. And every copy, there's a degradation in quality. So to be able to have this holy grail available, this super high resolution scans of the original flight film for the first time was just you know, someone had to do something with it, but nobody was. There are 35,000 scans. It's just raw data, really. It's it's a scan of a piece of film, so it, it, it's almost like a digital photograph. Anyone that remembers negatives in the pre-digital world will know the, you know, you, you've got to do something with them to get the best out of them and, and to view them properly. So that's where the, the workload comes in to go through those 35,000, digitally process them, and then kind of curate the best of them. Like I said, you've compiled so many great photographs. Which one, other than the Neil Armstrong you mentioned earlier, which one's your favorite? Oh, it's impossible. <laughs> um, I mean, even, you, you know, anyone that's tried to put a kind of a holiday album together from the favorite kind of vacation will appreciate it's often hard to narrow it down. So imagine to narrow down 35,000 even to there's 400 in the book, which I think is, you know, probably more than's ever been in a book. I mean, it's a huge, heavy book. But even to get it down to 400 was just so hard because they're just they're inherently stunning. So many of them. So what I tried to do is put images in that kind of that meet certain criteria, either of historical significance or they reveal something new or some are just instantly convey the awe inspiring nature of human space exploration. They just hit you. They're just stunning. Or, but I also wanted ones that kind of tell the story. So in the book, every image has got a caption. They're all in chronological order. And so following the images and the captions helps tell the story of every mission and of the whole program. So they had to meet all those criteria really to put to get this 400. But in terms of the, the specific images, I think those that show the human side are my favorites because that's something, again, we tend not to have seen. We, you know, we often see like a an anonymous puffy white, white spacesuit and a gold visor. <clears throat> but who were these people? Um, and using particularly this stacking technique on the 16 millimeter film, they used that camera a lot inside the spacecraft. The Hasselblad they didn't use so much, and it and, and it wasn't ideal for capturing inside the spacecraft. 
So stacking the 16 millimeter film now enables us to almost step on board, you know, and ride up along with these space explorers on what are the greatest ever human expeditions. And when you can see the people, you can see these, you know, guys in the mid, they look really young, you know, in mid thirties doing this incredibly brave thing, this incredible journey. Uh, it's those that, that I probably like the most. So there's one, for example, on Apollo 13, it's stacked panoramic shot inside Aquarius. You can see Fred Hayes napping and Jack Swigert tucked away on uh, napping on the on the ascent engine cover. And at that point, you know, they didn't know if they were going to get home alive. And here's this piece of film. And now stacked, we can step on board and try and appreciate what it was like. But one single image, of course, I would have to say the front cover. Uh, that's probably an obvious thing to say. I mean, it wound up on the front cover. But right. that, you know, Jim McDivitt... That was a really, really, really underexposed piece of film. I mean, we almost never see that because it was in such a bad state. But with the new scans and with this digital processing, you know, I've been able to reveal this. It's just an, a stunning portrait of a man doing his work in 1969 in this extraordinary place. And actually, it's a very historic moment as well. I spoke to Rusty Schweikart, who took that photograph. Um, and, it, and it turns out he's at, Jim is actually undertaking the docking in that moment. And this is the first ever docking between two crewed spacecraft. So a really important moment for Apollo, a really important moment in human spaceflight. And he's concentrating really hard. You know, Rusty said, I can't tell you how hard that task was. Um, so he's focusing really hard. It's a historic moment. And we have this wonderful portrait of, of the commander, Jim McDivitt. So that's probably, I'd have to say that one. Yeah, because I was about to ask you, like, you know, of all the ones, why was that one on the cover the most? Is that just because it was your one of your best favorite ones? Yeah, just like I said, I mean, the light, now it's been processed. The lighting's so good, it's almost like a Rembrandt. I mean, it's a brilliant <laughs> portrait. Um, he's looking up, and it, it looks almost like he's looking out at space in wonder. So it's kind of got a, that cinematic feel. Like say, when you then research and find actually the reality is even better than it looks. It's not just aesthetic and it's not just, you know, like he's looking up in wonder. He's actually doing something incredibly important in, in that moment. It's the only real photograph of uh, any Apollo astronaut in the in the suit and their bubble helmet in the lunar module. You know, you just mm -hmm. don't see it. Um, so it's quite a unique image as well. Um so and it, and it gives a hint as to what's in the book. You know, it's not something that people have seen before. Yes, all the iconic images are in there. It has to. The idea is this is kind of the definitive photographic record. So it has to have Earthrise, Blue Marble, A Man on the Moon, but in a clarity we've never seen before. But it also does have a lot of these images that even the, the most hardened Apollo enthusiast will, will never have seen. So there's a hint to that by using that image on the cover too. You mentioned earlier um, the, the photograph of Fred Hayes. Uh, cause I'm a big fan of that one as well. Have any of the original astronauts who are still with us, have they contacted you for prints or have given you any background on the photo about who took it and what have you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. it was very important for this to be an authentic record. So with digital processing, it's, very, it's so powerful, it's easy to push the processing too hard. And, of course, I haven't been to the moon, and I wanted to make sure that this was an authentic record i want to i want people who are reading it to feel like this is as close as they can get to making the journey themselves and to see this is what it would look like this is what the astronauts actually witnessed so um i was lucky enough to have a few of the astronauts involved fred hayes uh rusty schweikart charlie duke to critique walt cumming cunningham 
look at the images, help narrow them down, help with the chronology, um, how they took the photographs, and also to critique, you know, is, is what I've done correct? You know, Charlie Duke said, no, this is as close as you can get to being on the moon yourself, um, which is kind of the ultimate review, really. Um, right. And that's partly because he helped. And, you know, one of the things he said is important to get across is <clears throat> the black levels, the level of black in space is something we just can't comprehend on Earth. It's it's almost like it's got a texture, like a black velvet. It's incredibly black. And that's contrasted with this super bright white sunlight so because the sun hasn't been filtered through the atmosphere, it's incredibly crisp, incredibly white. So that creates this enormous contrast. But also, because there's no atmospheric haze, it's just as clear, you know, at the astronaut's fingertips as it is on the far horizon, you know, on, on, on the moon. So you get this clarity right across the, the field of view, this incredible high, high contrast. And so actually, if anything, I wasn't pushing the processing hard enough because it is a really contrasty, stark view when you're on the moon and when you're out in space. So, yeah, that was a huge help um, to get things right. And I've, they've since had copies of the book, and, yeah, they love it. Okay, Devon Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Andy Saunders. Maybe you should take this time to refresh that drink and take some Super long deep breaths. You know, that's right, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast? easily well now there is introducing podcasting made easy from podcasting audio my production team will handle your entire audio production allowing you to be the star of your show this is podcasting made easy how easy well so easy you don't even have to press record now that's easy your listeners are waiting let's deliver sign up for a free strategy call today podcasticaudio.com slash easy. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code Duval37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, available on all major streaming platforms, and visit my site at patrickbakermusic.com. 
Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hello, everybody. Let me ask you a question. When you were a kid, did you ever wonder what teachers talked about in the teacher's lounge? You probably didn't miss much. It's usually boring stuff like grading papers, lesson planning, and then figuring out the new train schedule. Train schedule? Well, I teach in the city. But sometimes at one of the not-so-cool tables in the back of the teacher's lounge, you might find us, the Fandalorians, teachers by day, nerds by night. My name is Mr. Richardson, and by day, Mr. McDonald, Mr. G, and I teach and inspire America's youth. But by night, we debate, discuss, and argue about all things in the pop culture universe on our podcast. We discuss all the biggest pop culture topics in the world, like Ozark, Stranger Things, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, Marvel, Star Wars, Top Gun Maverick, The Old Man, Bridgerton. You name it, we'll probably discuss it. You guys watch Bridgerton? Yo, season one of Bridgerton was awesome. You don't know what you're missing. Since we are teachers, you will always get a ton of background information about our topics and original teacher-themed segments, like our pop culture morning announcements, building meetings, and post-observation reviews of shows and movies. Oh, and arguing. You'll get lots of disagreements and arguing, like way more than I'm comfortable with. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for The Fandalorians, Teachers by Day, Nerds by Night. Then join us every Monday as we look into the current state of fandom and pop culture. And look, the bell's about to ring. We need to head to the buses. Hopefully, we'll see you guys soon. Well, I mean, they're not going to see us because this is a podcast. I, I know. I know. I but they can't even see us when you think about it. So they won't see us either. Oh, my God. You know what I meant. It wasn't literal. Just ring the bell. Ring the bell. The Fandalorians, Teachers by Day, Nerds by Night. I hope you listen and subscribe to us soon. I hate you guys. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed: A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. 
Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 143 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with NASA digital restoration expert and author of the book, Apollo Remastered, Andy Saunders. So what I was going to ask you is, you mentioned earlier, it took you years. Do you have an actual timeline from when you started to publication? Um, so I, I started properly really. So the the image of Armstrong, I I actually produced that about 10 years ago, but I held on to it until the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, which was July 2019. And then I released it, uh, and it was on like the front page of the national papers in the UK, and you know, ended up on TV, and it was like a 15 minutes of fame thing. And I thought, well, wh- where do we go from from here? And like I say, it was at that about that time that they completed the project on the original flight film. So I actually made the decision then that I was going to take that project on I'm going to get through, go through every single, I'm going to apply the stacking to every single frame that's possible from all the footage of the 16 mil film. And I'm going to do every single of these original pieces of film, uh, of the stills from the Hasselblads, the 35,000 and process them, select the best. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with it at the end, but partway through that process is when I got a deal for the book. You know, a lot of people online, I put a lot on Twitter uh, and Instagram and a lot of people saying this would be great as a book because I would always include as well as the new image, something about it. You know, what is it that we're looking at? What part of the mission is it? What, what were the astronauts saying at the moment they were witnessing these incredible events? And I thought, yeah, a book's the ideal way to get that across, to be able to have a caption as well as the images. The publisher did ask me to work it out. It was about 10,000 hours of processing. And then the research on top of that was probably a good six to nine months full time. Then the publishers got their bit to do and, and we've got to do the design. Getting the print right was very important because you can imagine for me to go through all of that, get them absolutely perfected on my screen. Anyone that's then printed digital photographs, your digital photograph often is nothing like what you saw on your screen. So the the, the rounds of kind of pre, pre-press and digital files, digital printing, uh, digital proofs, and then making sure that the printers, we had it printed in Italy, make sure that I went out to Italy actually to see it coming off the presses and we were making adjustments, getting the black levels right. So what we did in the end was we had on every page the actual photograph, but just the photograph has had a, a, a small, uh, a thin amount of varnish applied. So, but just to the photograph and not to the border. So that helps the contrast and helps the helps the image to pop from the page. Mm-hmm. So all of that takes time. Um, and the book was finally released in, in September in the UK and October in the US. So I do have one quick question is you mentioned earlier, you know, flight film being restored. Have you seen the Apollo 11 documentary that they put out about, what was it, three, four years ago now, where they did everything in 4K? Yeah, it was yeah, absolutely brilliant documentary. Yeah, in fact, Stephen Slater, who was the archive producer of that film, he provided me with the 60 millimeter transfers that I've used in the book. So yeah, I know Stephen well. Um, and yeah, br- brilliant film. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Which leads me to my next question. That is, 
Neil Armstrong for me is someone who I put on par with like walking on water. And that photograph of him in the Lem after the spacewalk uh, yeah. is absolutely phenomenal photograph. The tear in the eye, I, I think that's yeah. fantastic. Knowing what you know about the Apollo missions, how crucial of a choice was it to have Neil command Apollo 11? Well, I mean, I think everyone that knows anything about Apollo just thinks he was the perfect choice. I mean, had the Apollo 1 fire not happened, um, you know, it may well have been someone like Gus Grissom. Um, I know in, internally they, they kind of, I think Deke Slayton would have favoured one of the original seven, for example. Uh, but given that that happened, then Neil was just seemed this, it just so incredibly competent, wasn't he? Calm, cool-headed, um, the instant on... Gemini 8, eight. So when it docked to the Agena and then they had the problem, you know, his vision was going, he was, you know, they were almost about to pass out and his quick thinking uh, got them out of that hole. But also having Buzz Aldrin, I mean, Buzz was, you know, could his knowledge of rendezvous, for example. So if heaven forbid there was a uh, an error where they had to kind of do some kind of manual rendezvous, you've got Aldrin. It's just a brilliant team. It's just a brilliant team on Apollo 11. But of course... Yeah. I guess any of them could have done anyone else's job. They were all, to me, kind of superhuman, really. But I think in hindsight, Armstrong was, yeah, the right man for the job. I agree 100%. So what has the reception to the book been like? Oh, it's a, a, amazing. I mean, to spend so long doing it, you just never know, really. I mean, I, being an, an enthusiast, I kind of knew the, you know, the step change, really, in, in the quality of the imagery. A lot of things were new with things that I'd uncovered along the way. At every 50th anniversary of the Apollo missions, I would put images out to the press and they'd be in kind of, you know, the world press. Um, and, I, and I did that because I want people to remember the missions. And the 50th anniversaries were kind of the, the perfect opportunities to do that. And But news needs need a bit of a hook. So to give them something new, well, here's this new image, here's this new bit of detail. So the reaction to those was always very good. So my hope was then the reaction to the book would be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, particularly in the UK, it was a Sunday Times bestseller. The concern at the time was, you know, it's quite an expensive book because it's a big, heavy, really high quality printed book. <clears throat> so that was a little concern, particularly as we started, you know, the, the cost of living crisis. But it doesn't seem to have hampered it at all. You know, it sold really well. The feedback, you know, reviews and... Anyone that's anyone kind of in the space industry that's seen it and has commented on it, as you know, said really positive things. The astronauts themselves, of course, is is kind of the ultimate. So, yeah, it's been amazing. For me personally, I tweet about space. You know, space exploration is a very, very important part of my my life. Unfortunately, every now and again, you bump into those people who are like, you know, the moon landing was faked and what have you. Have you ever had any run-ins with those people? Unfortunately, oh, well, I mean, they pop up all the time, don't they? Especially on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> especially on Twitter. I, my approach is just to ignore them. Um, yeah. I think a lot of them are just after attention. A lot of it, I think, is tongue-in-cheek, just trying to create a bit of controversy. Uh, but you do absolutely, as you know, get people who are absolutely adamant that we didn't go to the moon. It's it's fascinating, really. Uh, people like that actually really fascinate me. But, you know, you, there is a, there's a level of conspiracy theorists where it doesn't matter what you would say anyway. You could take them to the moon to Tranquility Bay, say, there's the Apollo 11 lunar module. And they'd say, ah, well, you brought that last week because you knew I was coming. You know, mm. it doesn't really matter what you say. Um, but, you know, I've you know, I've been through 35,000 pieces of film and they are categorically not faked. In fact, it'd be harder to fake 35,000 pieces of film than it would to just 
go to the moon and take the photographs. I always tell people, you know, you cannot get 240,000 people to change their story. You know I mean? I, it's, it's, it's just baffling to me. People just will not latch onto that. It's, it's crazy. It's even quite an old, it's a bit old fashioned even now because perhaps yeah. a lot of people don't realize that we've had satellites around the, the moon that have taken mm -hmm. photographs and you can see the landing sites. I mean, yeah. Uh, but now, now that was the lunar reconnaissance orbit was was the, the first one in about two thousand and nine. So the theorist, the conspiracy theorists, would say, "Ah, yeah, but that's a U.S. probe, so of course they're going to fake those as well." Well, firstly, yeah. you wouldn't fake them in two thousand and nine, and actually, there's an Indian base agency satellite there right now, and in fact, last year took photographs of Apollo eleven and Apollo twelve landing site. You see the astronauts' tracks. I saw that. You can see the shadow of the flag on Apollo twelve. Everything's in exactly the right place. It's a bit even an old-fashioned conspiracy theory, yeah. I think. Yeah. Don't make you feel too bad, but um, well, about a month or two ago, I had a gentleman. He's one of those uh, flat-earth people. He's like, I want to come on your show and talk about my views. I'm like, no chance. <laughs> so uh, moving on, uh, what are you most looking forward to with the Artemis missions? Well, I'm looking forward to actually living through it, <laughs> you, know, you know, to look up at the moon and know there's somebody there. Um, you know, one of the few times I'm jealous of <clears throat> someone that's older than me is – you know, they lived through that incredible era. And it's just always been kind of 10 years away, hasn't it? And even going to the Mars, it's always in 20 mm -hmm. years, we'll go to Mars. In 20 years, we'll be going to Mars. Kind of the same with the moon. And, and you know, I'm 49 this year. And since I was, like, say, four or five, it's been in 10 years, in 10 years. But thankfully, of course, now it is absolutely happening. Of course, Artemis 1 went perfectly so yeah the next time we go artemis 2 there will be people okay they won't land but the going around the moon is something that'll be incredible to see and i think the imagery i mean it'll be digital of course and there'll be they'll cover every angle but the 360 degree field of view vr enabled so it will be incredible i mean we saw some amazing imagery from artemis 1 but it does need a human to take the photograph so if you think of the blue marble, um, so this is the photograph of the whole illuminated Earth taken on Apollo 17, and that's the most reproduced photograph in history. Almost every image of the whole Earth we've ever seen is derived from that one photograph. And when we see it, we often see it out of context. We see it everywhere on a TV advert, on a cereal packet, on a T-shirt, in a textbook. And it's easy to just think, oh, that's, yeah, it's an incredible photograph and kind of get on with your day. But when you actually put it in context. And this is what I've tried to do in the book is put images like that in context and look at, well, what photographs were taken just before that one and just after? What step, part of the mission were they? What were the astronauts saying when they were looking out the window? And, you know, when you contemplate the fact that that was three guys in a tiny spacecraft hurtling at 20,000 miles an hour away from their home planet on the way to the moon, and one of them looked out the window, picked up a camera, held it to the window and, and took that photograph that's when those photographs have a real, really hit home. So I think it's going to be Artemis 2, and we have people, someone will take another, uh, the new blue marble, but a human has to take it. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to the imagery, whether, you know, digital can look a little bit clinical. You know, I love the film. I love the fact that they had a finite number of shots they could take. They had to be selective. I love the fact that they had to wait until these people got back from the moon to process the film so we could see what it was like. You know, of course, on, on Artemis, it'll be live streamed. It'll be instant. There might even be too much of it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, but whether it can truly match, you know, the, the romance of that pioneering era mm -hmm. uh, remains to be seen. 
Yeah. Knowing out of luck, I'll probably be TikToking and tweeting from the moon. <laughs> That'll be interesting. So, yeah. All right. So, what's next for Andy? Well, uh, the next book is uh, Gemini Remastered. So, it's a prequel. So, Gemini, for those that aren't aware, are the missions <clears throat> the, the, or the program that was before Apollo. It will also cover Project Mercury. So, it'll take us from our first glimpses of the curvature of Earth through to the end of Gemini, which was effect then the start of Apollo. And Gemini was so important to prove all the techniques needed to enable us to go to the moon. So there's never been a, a really standout book, I don't think, for Gemini. And in fact, it's often a bit of a forgotten program, really. But some of the most important moments in spaceflight history happened during those missions. You know, the first ever docking, the first ever rendezvous. Uh, the first EVA, at least for the US, the, the spacewalk at White. Mercury missions, of course, the, f the first times humans, you know, got into space and got into orbit. So really important moments in spaceflight history. It'll have a very different look because, of course, with the Apollo remastered book, there is a bit of uh, pre-Apollo in there. Um, but beyond that, of course, it's predominantly moon. It's predominantly greyish, whereas Gemini is oh, and, and Mercury were all course in earth orbit so it'll be a lot more color it'll look a bit different but the photography also just really really stands out particularly the latter missions of gemini they had a slightly different camera so they had a, a hasselblad super wide so it's a wide angle lens and it was just amazing at capturing the inside of the spacecraft and when they were on the eva of the of looking back at the spacecraft it took in kind of a greater curvature of earth if you like so just the imagery from gemini is absolutely stunning so I have started that process. It's another long process. I'll go through every single piece of film, every single frame of 16 millimeter movie footage, stack what can be stacked, process everything and, and put together mission by mission, the story of, of our first journeys into space. That's awesome. That's very awesome. Um, as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question and is, you know, what, what do you like to do for fun when you have, how do you relax? Uh, well, I'm a football fan, soccer, as you'd call it over there. I, know you're, I think you're a Nottingham Forest fan, aren't you? Yeah. There you go. So I don't need to convince you. So I like my football. I'm a Liverpool supporter. Uh, I like watching my son playing football. I've just, just come back from there now. So yeah, love sport, uh, love to travel. Yeah, anything that gets me away from my, you know, I spend a lot of time staring at my screen, as you would imagine, right. uh, processing. So anything when I'm away from that is uh, is golden time, really. That makes sense. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online, take a look at the book and so forth? Uh, well, there's, there's, they could get the book. It's out there. It's available from every good bookstore, uh, online or otherwise. Um, the website is apolloremastered.com. There's a huge amount of information on there. And then social media, uh, Twitter is at Andy Saunders underscore one. Same with Instagram at Andy Saunders underscore one. Uh, and there's a Facebook page, Apollo Remastered. So awesome. there's there's lots out there. So I end my interviews with my favorite question, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? It's a wonderful view uh, from back at the Earth, from the moon. It's awesome. The book is Apollo Remastered, the ultimate photographic record available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Andy, congratulations on the book. And this has been absolutely a real treat for me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 143. 
I want to thank Andy for taking the time to come on the show. What an amazing man. And I cannot wait to see his Gemini book when it is finished. The Apollo Remastered book set a very high bar. Andy, thanks again for everything. This was a great chat. And you were right, Forrest will probably get relegated. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days. So be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask, have you enjoyed this episode? Hell, have you enjoyed this whole week of NASA greatness? I truly hope you have. So please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show is a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have a really, really fun selection of t-shirts that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. Go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the Derek Duvall Show. Speaking of the Derek Duvall Show, on behalf of myself and the entire team here, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, guys, thanks for listening to the Fred Hayes episode. Honestly, your support of this show means the absolute world to me, and I mean that with every fiber in my being. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.